Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. My girlfriend, Lianne, is one beautiful human. She's a friend who I've recently just met, but a friend that I feel like I've known forever. Lianne and I have a shared belief around gratitude. We both believe that a daily gratitude practice will change your life and have both experienced this firsthand. Lianne is a certified meditation teacher who helps her clients release overwhelm and return to the present moment. She has a unique perspective on life through her lens of serving as a police officer for the last 20 years. She has seen time and time again, how life can change in an instant, thus fueling her to be intentional about living right now. Lianne's mission is to help people stop living on autopilot, become more present and show up with more intention so that when this life is over, it will have been enough. Hey girl, I'm so happy to have you here on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh my gosh. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Candice. And I agree. I feel like we've just have known each other for way more than a year. Yeah, I know. We were like fast friends that I feel like, yeah, we just instantly connected and are on the same page, the same vibration. And yeah, it feels like I've known you forever. So yeah, I'm so happy awesome. to have you. Thank you for having me. Okay. So now I'd love to go back and dig into how you ended up in policing. So maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like policing is such a unique career that most people wouldn't just accidentally end up there. So can you take us back to the beginning and talk about what it was that led you to policing? Oh, wow. Yeah. 20 it's uh, I just started my 21st year in September. So, which is crazy, right? Um, honestly, it was, um, it wasn't like I, I never had uh, a lot of people go into policing, have it because their parents or their grandparents or something like that. And that wasn't the case for me at all. I, none of my family has been in law enforcement. Um, but my best friend from university um, got hired and I was still traveling and um, I connected with her when I came back. And it was like, she goes, this is a really, a really amazing career. She goes, it's like, you can do so many different careers within one, you get to help people. And um, she goes, it's just a different way of serving. And so I spent a, a few years really following her and just sort of going on ride-alongs and was like, I really could see how she could impact people. And I was like, this seems pretty, pretty amazing. And so that's actually how I fell into it. Um, and now 20 years later, it's crazy. Wow. Okay. So what was it like when you first got into um, the schooling for it? Like, what is that process like? So in Ontario, um, it, it's a three month program at the Ontario Police College. And so you just do basic training, basic skills, basic Ontario law, fa basic federal law, and then um, firearms, driving, defensive tactics. So it was a very intense three months and something that you're secluded sort of away from um, the rest of the world per se, because you're so focused and you're, you've got to maintain a certain average in marks and pass all your firearms. 
Um, and so it was challenging for, um, for me because I wasn't athletic at all um, prior to that. So I was always training and learning new things. It was definitely three months of, of learning and challenging myself and pushing myself, knowing that it was really about three months was just the beginning. Because when you came back, you did your own thing with your police service. So this would have been everybody from any police service around the province who had got hired, then you were sent to the police college. And then when you would come back to your respective police services, you got to learn all the local and the local training and the local bylaws. And um, so it was like, I felt like, I'd spent four years in university, but it was like four years of university crammed into three months. Oh, wow. Oh my goodness. And that's, I think like with policing, it would probably be a lot of on the job training. Um, yeah, we, then you would be with a coach officer for when I was hired, which it's a lot different today, but I think it was only like 500 hours. Um, that you're with somebody who has way more experience, obviously, like my coach officer had at the time, 15 years on the job. So she had a lot of experience. So I learned um, a lot from her, not just the typical stuff, but just experience wise about how he, how to deal with certain calls, um, responding to certain uh, alarms, things like that. So a lot of officer safety is what we call it, officer safety. So you get the experience of knowing how to protect yourself because it's um it's a, it's can be scary on the first couple shifts. <laughs> oh, I can't even imagine. Um so you said that you had like a female uh mentor that you or a coach that you were paired up with. Are there a lot of other women in the policing service or is it like when I think of the police, I think there there's a lot of men when you see a woman uh, police officer, it's like, oh, you know, driving the car. Oh, there, there are some, like, is that the case there or has it evolved or is it still just a few here and there? Uh, it is definitely evolved now again. So I've been on for 20, 20 years. And so when I first got hired, we were less, I would say less about 15% of the service only were females. Um, and so now there is more of, um, I don't want to say quota, but definitely more encouragement to hire qualified women um, to represent, right? And we bring a different thing to the table. We, as we know, you know, women are just, we do things differently. But so it is still majority of, of men, um, but we're getting there. I think we're close to maybe 25% now. Okay. And so what division did you go into? Cause you said, like you said before, there's many different routes and you can go into different uh, parts of the service. Where did you get into? So I started just on patrol. So you usually start as a patrol officer out responding to calls, 911 calls, um, you know, say somebody's home has been broken into, you go and take the report. Um, so that's where I started. And I spent the first seven years on patrol and you have your own area and you respond to calls. And then I went into, um, it's called the Collision Investigation Unit. And that's where I spent another seven years investigating fatal uh, motor vehicle collisions. Oh, wow. So like I said in the intro, you have like a different lens on life. Like you see and have seen firsthand, like behind the scenes where a lot of us just carry on with our daily life and really don't know what's going on behind the scenes and carry on. So what did that perspective 
um, bring for you? Yeah, that was, um, you know, as a police officer, you learn to decompartmentalize things that happen to protect yourself, right? That's, that's our, our protection um, mode that we go into. So you're able to really distinguish and remove yourself from the situation. So um, collisions, it was what I loved about it, which is going to maybe sound weird to people, but I really love dealing with the everyday citizen that unfortunately are now dealing with the police in such a tragic manner um, that I was able to show them a different side of policing rather than dealing with, unfortunately, the people that maybe were arresting for criminal offenses, right? That maybe were repetitive criminals. It's a different way of policing. It really is. So being able to deal with um, everyday citizens who maybe have never had a dealing with the police before to be able to show them that a we're going to figure out what happened and b that we're human too so it's a re- it was really really amazing but what of course that did show me was that life can change in an instant right I would I would go to um, I mean I remember one year it was I think in a, honestly, a span between October to December, my team went to over 30 fatals and it was, it's, um, again, you, you desensitize yourself to it and you learn to cope, but you're dealing with people, right. Who's, um, you know, their husband is, has basically died in a car accident on the, on his way to work. He was just on his way to work. And it's those things, there's specific ones that always stick with you. Um, but you realize every day is a gift. You really do. And so before you had that lens, were you living intentionally or was that always a part of you? Or is this something that kind of developed over time because of what you were seeing, seeing on a a daily basis? Um, I would definitely say that I was not, I was living on auto on autopilot for sure. Right. You just, you get into such a mode, you get up, you go to work, Um, You come home, you do the things. And then I had um, both my boys during that period. And so it definitely changed things where I was like, there, you just realize I could go to work and not come home today. And in policing, it's a different, it's not just maybe not coming home from a car accident, but putting myself in those situations every day made me really go, I need to really slow the hell down and, and take the time to smell the roses as they say, and see that there's more to life than just doing the things. So yeah, I wasn't, I was on autopilot and there's still some days I can slip back into that, but definitely way more intentional in how I spend my time and finding joy because this really is the only moment we have. Like, there's no point in worrying about tomorrow because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So this is all we have. So yeah, it really, really did wake me up. Seven years of seven years of that can make you, it can make you either really, really um, negative and be very pissed off at the world, right? By seeing innocent lives just taken away, or you can take it the other way right? And really make an impact. So was there something that you did or did you have a practice then? Because 
you had to um, compartmentalize all of this stuff. And I mean, the feelings that probably would be brought up with each different um, call out, like how did you prep yourself or how did you cope with that? And is there something in the service where they teach you those coping strategies in the training to help you? I don't know, maybe have like a more, I don't know if it would be a positive experience or to keep your mental health and wellness in check and have like a more, uh, a longer career or what does that look like? Well, I'll tell you, things have definitely evolved in 20 years and it is happening. I think with a lot of places, just in any corporation or any business where the mental health aspect is becoming more prominent but during those seven years that I was in collisions, we didn't have that. It would maybe the odd time if it was really, really something that blew up, like maybe it was a mul- multiple fatality, you would have a debrief. But it certainly wasn't actually, Candice, where we would um, maybe we'd talk about it amongst my team, which was of three or four people. But the service certainly didn't provide anything to deal with that. And I think... Um, Anybody who knows anyone in policing uh, knows that that is a huge problem dealing with PTSD of whatever it may be that police officers have dealt with. And if you don't have somebody or know someone personally, it's hard to understand what we actually do and, and, and that we're human too. Right. And so um, we didn't, we didn't have anything. And, and so I learned that on my own, how to deal with that, which was, um, being able to journal and, and, and as you mentioned at the beginning, being grateful for what I had and adding that gratitude practice in every day and letting out any emotions onto paper to let it out. Right. Like my husband is also a police officer. So, um, and he spent seven years in, um, forensics. So he saw a lot more than I did. Um, but being able to talk about it with people that that had been through it as well was, was helpful for sure. Okay. I want to dig into that. How did you end up um, marrying another police officer? Did you meet um, on the job or how did, how did that come about? Yeah, it's very common actually. Right. Because as I just said, you, it's a, it is a culture. We, it really is. And even though I don't, not saying that in a negative aspect, but policing is a culture because we use defense mechanisms to protect ourselves that a lot of people don't understand. Our humor is a little offside. Um, you know, there's, there's certain things that we, you do to protect yourself. And so we met on the job. Um, he was actually a police officer down near Toronto for five years, and then he moved back to Ottawa here. So we met on, on the job. It's pretty normal. Um, but we have actually, I think the thing with us is that we're actually still together <laughs> after two kids. It'll be 15 years next June um, because unfortunately this job takes a toll on, on marriages for sure. Right. Because people aren't able to deal with all the tragedy and the crisis and, and stuff like that. But yeah, that's, that's how that rolled out. Um, it's actually funny because he actually has been promoted Um to a higher level than I am, which is really funny because it's a big joke at the service. Oh, that's, that's your husband. People still don't know because I haven't changed my name. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Usually who you spend the most time with and you're around. And like you said, you have that culture and that understanding, I think. Yeah. For a lot of, um, people in a partnership, it might be hard to, um, be in a, in a partnership with someone that has that type of career. If you don't maybe have the understanding and there's a lot of stuff that's really heavy about mm -hmm. it, that, you know, might be a little hard to understand unless you have been in it. Um, and like you said, also the two of you, um, having both a heavy load and having to deal with that plus family, two kids part, like all of it, that that's a lot. Um, yeah. Like and, and working shift work, right? Like I, I've always worked shift work. Um, that's, that's part of the, that's sort of part of the agreement, right? You, you know, when you sign on, you're going to have to work shifts, you're going to have to work nights uh, in collisions. I, you know, the phone would ring at two, three in the morning and it was like, it's go time. And so you have to get, you just have to always had a plan in place to deal with that. But um, rearranging your life around shift work. So anybody who's um, they, uh, yeah, you have, have to have a, have a pretty understanding partner if they don't under, aren't in it. Yeah. Right. And how did that work with kids? Because you have two boys. So when the phone would ring at two in the morning, um, like what would happen if your husband wasn't home? Like, what did, what do you do then? Uh, well, luckily enough, we got, um, Dave's parents are actually live really close by. So we're very, very fortunate and very grateful that they would be able to come, but he's been on in a straight day job position for about nine years now. So, um, I still work the shift work, but he's always home. So at least one of us is consistent. Now that may change at any moment because we don't know, right. Our, our shifts can change. Positions can change. And it's being able to, to roll with the punches, as they say, and be able to just adjust and pivot and not have it stress anybody out because we've been in it, both of us so long, we know that changes will happen, right? That is the only constant thing that we have in life is that change and um, we just adjust. You just, you just learn to adjust. Wow. Yeah. It is kind of a lifestyle getting into that. So um like you are so good. I feel like at boundaries, I feel like, is that something that comes with policing? Because do you, ha you have to have really strong boundaries in policing? Um, has that carried into your personal life? Cause I feel like you're, you're really good at that, which so many people, that's like the one thing that they're missing at or craving or like struggle with or freaks them out. So yeah, absolutely. Boundaries in policing, Absolutely. Because there's, um, there's a lot, you have to be a pretty darn self-confident person to be able to deal. And it's getting, I wouldn't say worse, but policing has changed in 20 years for sure. Social media, everybody has a cell phone, knowing how to be self-confident in your knowledge of what you're, what you're allowed to do and setting those boundaries that a, you can take a certain amount of crap from people, but then there comes the point where you know what you need to do, but it's also about being able to take care of yourself. So that is something I've, I've really always have had and being able to know that um, I need to set boundaries and take care of myself um, at home as well, because if I can't do that, uh, become the best person that I can be at home, nobody else is going to be 
able, I'm not going to be able to serve anyone. So being able to set my boundaries at home, take the time for myself, and then be able to take that to work to know where I can allow people to push me to a point. Do you understand if that makes sense? Like it's different in policing, right? We're, we're very held accountable for our actions, but knowing that um, I can give a lot and allow a lot, but setting boundaries is, is one thing. A lot of people, you're right. A lot of people have definitely struggle with that. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So um, what is it that you do for self-care? How do you take care of yourself? Uh, I actually posted this question, um, a little while ago about, um, one of my social media platforms about when I say self-care, what do people think? And a lot of people think it's very selfish. Um, but for me, meditating every day is the number one thing that I do for myself. Um, being able to slow down and be quiet and just being able to listen to what, what's around me is one of the biggest things that I think anyone can do for themselves. It really is. Not only is it good for your body to slow down, but it's also about being able to really listen and being able to hear what it is that you want to do, right? Like where, what is the next thing I should do today? People are so living on that autopilot that we spoke about that they don't even know what they want to do. Yes. So, where, where did you develop this meditation practice? I know that is currently such a yeah. huge part of your life and what you're wanting to gift to the world. So like, where did you find that and how did that? Um, you know, I used to meditate in my twenties a lot. I used to, I had a really, really good consistent practice and then, you know, life happened And it just sort of was one of those things you got on the auto train and it sort of fell by the wayside. And honestly, it really came back into um, my life probably just before COVID hit actually um, where I was finding myself. And now as I look back, I know what it was, but I didn't know at the time that I was in a state of overwhelm. Um, And it was like, I didn't want to go to work because I'm in a unit now that um, I'm not on patrol. I, uh, investigate break and enter. So I'm in the office. Um, but I didn't even want to go to work. I didn't want to do the groceries. I was like, what is wrong with me? And I, it was, I didn't even know. And I was unhappy. I say that in sort of air quotes, but knowing I wasn't like, I'm not an unhappy person, but everything was just building up. And so one day I literally sat down and I just stopped and I sat there and I was like, oh my God, this feels so good. I literally like sat down and was like, ah, and then it, you know, it starts to click into place. I'm like, I should just slow the hell down. (laughs) And, and then it was like, oh, I think I'm going to do that tomorrow. And then I'm going to do it the next day. And it just, it just came back. And then like, huh, this is what people need. People need this. People oh need my it. gosh. <laughs> Everybody could just spend 15 minutes a day by themselves, right? Imagine, imagine, just imagine what people could accomplish and what people could be intentional about when they could just sit and listen to themselves. Oh, I love that. Okay. I want to dive deeper into that in a second, but I just want to touch on something you said that I think is so, so important. 
Um, you said a lot of people think that self-care is selfish. A lot of people really do. There's so many, um, other facets of life that we're always trying to serve and take care of. And like, um, but I feel like we spend the most time with ourselves in our own mind We're um, they say, and I've brought this up before, like they say, you're like the five people you hang out with the most. And I think you're one of those people. And like, what are you living for? Like, we're not living for everybody else, but it's, it seems to be, um, come up time and time again, that self-care is selfish. But when we really take that time for ourselves to honor the things that light us up and make us, um, feel joyful and alive and ignited, then really you just show up in so much more alignment and a better vibration and a better headspace where you don't have to do, um, 50 million things shitty. You can do like 50 things really, really well and show up so different. But I feel like that is a missing piece for a lot of people is really taking the time for them. Like, why do you think we, why do you think so many people feel that way? Oh, so many reasons really. But I, I think, I believe in my opinion, people look at self-care either they feel they're not worthy of it, right? People pleasers, right? Got to please everybody else first. I, I, I mean, I've seen that in even my own mom, right? Pleasing, pleasing, pleasing. The last one to eat dinner, the last one to do this. And then, and then feeling self, it's selfish because of the guilt that people feel, right? That was one thing I had to overcome where I'm like, I need to sit here for 15. I, I want to sit here for by myself for 15 minutes, but the guilt that my kids are out doing something else without me, like, no, it's okay. Because at the end of the day, if you cannot, and everybody hears this story, Kenneth, it's the fill your own cup first. Because you can't, you can't come and serve and be of service to others if you are not the best version of you. But I think it's people feel from whatever programming, whatever belief, whatever thought that has turned into a belief that they've been programmed with that, well, no, you need to do this first. You need to serve others first, right? Through what schooling, through ancestral generations of you're a woman, you serve other people first. That is a belief that has been passed down. And then it turns into, I'm not worthy of that. I'm not worthy of spending 15 minutes by myself because I need to go and feed the kids and I need to do the laundry. So yeah, I think people, it's a, it's a thought, right? we know how that works. People have these thoughts that if you think it over and over enough, it becomes your belief of being unworthy to take care of themselves first. And when you can get past those limiting beliefs and even just starting one day at a time, because that's where that's what you have to, it does snowball into a daily thing where you get the benefits of it. You see the benefits. You're a better mom. You're nicer. You have more patience. That's my biggest thing. Oh my God. I, I'm not a, like, I was like, I'm never having kids. I don't have the patience for that. And I, you know, there's days I lose my shit. Meditating <laughs> helps. <laughs> Meditating helps. I'm calmer. I'm nicer. And then you see the, be- you see the results. And then you do it more. 
Oh, I love that. Okay. So let's go back to, so you just one day were like an overwhelm and like, I'm just going to sit here and sat there for a few minutes. Like, oh my gosh, this feels amazing. I'm going to do it again. And again, so, um, you like started slowly and just like you said, snowball, like, okay, this feels amazing. I'm going to try it again and again and again, slowly getting into it. And you said, um, then when you just sit there, you can come, um, into your day with intention. So like, what are some of the most, um, simple or profound or things that have come to you in a meditation that have helped you through your day? Yeah, I mean, I, I journal on and off after my meditations, um, just really depends on my schedule. Um, but one of the big things that I always seem to get sort of as a download or something that sort of comes in between that I know that I'm not actually thinking it, it's actually coming to me without the thinking is just, um, just be, which may sound really maybe woo woo or cheesy or whatever people think that is, but it really is about just sort of, I interpret that as just go with the flow, just go be, just do what the next thing is that your body takes you to do. And that is one of the things that I I get most days at the end of my meditations. And that's where I can then bring my intention into it where I'm like, okay, what can I do right now with the fullest intention that is going to allow me to just be here? And to be, bring whoever is with me the most, the best experience that we can do in this moment. And so I do that um, when I work day shift, I'm at work usually at um, about 6.45, 6.30, 6.45 a.m. And so I ended up doing my meditation at work. So all the guys that I work with, I go off into my little room. <laughs> it's, it's actually quite entertaining. And I come back and then I can feel it. And again, I work with all guys. I was like, okay, guys. Like they call me princess. They call me the meditation queen. And I'm like, all right, this is what we're going to do today. And it brings a different light, lighted, lightheartedness to work. Um, But we're very intentional about how we spend our time. um, Therefore, like doing whatever we need to do. So it really does bring a little bit of fun and a little bit of intention in that you can get more done, but having the fun in it, having the fun in it. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So these, um, men are like, they, they see you come out of your like little room and like come out as like, uh, the, this amazing lion showing up. Are they going to like join you in the room? Like, are they realizing like the power of it? Are any of them asking like, okay, what do you do? Can you tell me your secret? So funny because, um, Two of the guys, one one of the guys has become a really, really good friend. He was actually off for a number of years uh, with PTSD. And so he's been dealing and healing with that. And so he actually does a lot of my meditations, which is amazing because he knows the benefit, right? He's he's seen it firsthand. Um, one I've pretty much converted. He does it at home. He doesn't want to join me, but that's okay. And the other ones, um, they still think I'm a little woo-woo and that's okay. Right. I just keep going up and I think they start to see, uh, and this is the best part, right? You just show up and you're just being who you are and showing the results of how little things and little tweaks can snowball into bigger things. And so 
we joke about it at work, but, um, you know, two out of five isn't bad. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. Not everybody is ready for it and maybe one day they'll be ready and maybe they won't ever, but hopefully, um, after seeing and feeling like, I feel like you can feel the energy of people who are in alignment, like hopefully after feeling that energy for so long that maybe they'll just be like, "Mm, maybe I'll hop on the train. Maybe I'll secretly do it at home and not tell anybody or, you know, hopefully they, they do join in to, reap some of the benefits, but Hey, two out of five is amazing. And, um, especially for, um, men, I think that I think Mm -hmm. now more and more, maybe men are kind of diving in or a little more curious about some of, um, the different mindset stuff, but how cool that you get to bring this gem to them. Yeah. Especially, um, policemen, right? Like, cause that's, they're big, they're tough. They don't want to be seen as weak. There's still a huge stigma around that. And even, um, I would even say some of the police women that were hired same time as I am, it's still not something to show and you have to be strong and you have to be, um, be able to just take care of yourself. So yeah, it's interesting to see the changes over 20 years and how these different mindset and help Uh, mental health, uh, things are creeping in a little slow, but it's getting in there for sure. I love that. Okay. So for someone who, um, maybe doesn't, has never meditated, doesn't really know what it is or understand it and wants to maybe give it a try. What would you say to them? Like what, what does a meditation practice look like? What could it look like? How do you begin and dabble into it? So I think, um, again, people get a little bit confused between mindfulness and meditation. And so um, just to give people an idea. So for me, like there's a lot of different meditations out there. People can do guided meditations where someone is talking you through a series of events or visualizations. Um, And then there's mindfulness where you can practice mindfulness anywhere, any time of the day, right? You go out for a walk and you're just mindful of your surroundings. You're taking in the notice of the trees in the sky or same as this, like I'm with you right now. We're very mindful at what we're doing, but the meditation in order to see um, sort of the benefits psychologically, physiologically is being able to really just sit and allow thoughts to come. And a lot of people don't want to do that. A lot of people don't want to sit with their thoughts because their thoughts aren't pleasant. And so it, it takes a lot of practice. That's why it's a daily practice, but sitting, I, the first piece of advice I would give to anyone who maybe has tried meditation in the past is like, I can't do it. I can't sit still. Honestly, set a timer for one minute, one minute and just sit and bring awareness into your body. Because that brings you back to the present moment. That's really all you can focus on one minute at a time. Just focusing on your body because that takes all the thoughts that are coming. It takes those away. Just doing a quick body scan from your toes all the way to your head. And that is the first piece of advice I would give to somebody. And don't worry about the thoughts. Just focus on bringing your awareness into your body. And then um, adding a minute. You know, if you can do a minute do that for a week and then add another 30 seconds, another minute. 
and just really stay in that presence of the five senses is the first way to really cultivate a meditation practice. Okay. I love that. That's an easy way to begin. Um, You said, I feel like a lot of people, maybe even not even to meditate, like that would be next level, but a lot of people don't really want to slow down. They, the busyness um, keeps them so busy that they can't deal with the stuff um, the emotional stuff or stuff that's going on. Um, I feel like a lot of people just are afraid to sit down because of like what will come up or the thoughts or, um, or having to deal with like what's actually there. So, um, if somebody is super busy and like these thoughts or things are coming up, I know you said that you journal too, like, would that be a good thing to like journal some of the stuff just to get it out if it does come up and if it is kind of scary? Absolutely. So like I said, I don't journal every day after my meditations, but um, being able to take, if you, if you feel like you really can't meditate, you can't sit still, you've got to be doing something, which again is, that's always a sign of something, right? If you feel like you're always having to be on the go, you're perhaps maybe avoiding something, right? Um, Either people that are overwhelmed or burnt out go one of two ways. They either do nothing like I did and procrastinate and not feel like even getting groceries or they work themselves too much and they go more and more into the work to keep their mind off of it. And so being able to write out those thoughts of what it is and remember like thoughts are just thoughts. They're not who you are. And I think a lot of people get stuck in that. um, But this is what I'm thinking that this is true. When you get into real meditation meditating on a daily basis, you realize that they're just thoughts. They're just literally shit that comes into your head. Like we have over 80 to 90,000 thoughts a day that we don't even know that we're thinking because we're programmed. Our, Our subconscious is just thinking all the time. And so when we become aware that you're, those are just thoughts and being able to control that and letting it go, like say, Oh, that's a thought. Okay it means nothing, then you can let it go. So, but journaling is, is definitely a way to be able to just, even if it's just a few lines, right. Being able to write out, this is what I'm feeling today. And that's, that's another way. If you, if you can't do it, sit still for a one minute, which I guarantee everyone can do, right. Then journaling for a minute, at least is keeping people active. If that's what they feel, they can't sit still. Yes. Okay. And when you break it down to like that, like 60 seconds, we can all take 60 seconds if we really um, want to go there. Let's just think about how much time we spend scrolling. Yeah. Put down your phone, stop the scroll um, and take a minute for yourself today. Start, start in a minute. That's definitely attainable. Um, Okay. So you have been in policing for going on 21 years now. Um, but now you are serving other people. You are helping people become more present, release some of the overwhelm, um, really dive into themselves. Like, where did that come from? Like, how did that kind of come about from practicing it on your own to now um, having this gift to um, help others do the same? 
Um, I think it was just when I, when I really started to get back into my meditation practice, I could see how much more I could actually get done. And I don't mean with the hustle and grind, right? Doing it by being and doing it by being more intentional. And I'm like, and then I would look around at some of my coworkers and I, I, I would ask some of my girlfriends at work. I'm like, so what is it? Like, what is the biggest thing that you not struggle with, but that you find you wish you had? And I always, always said, I wish I had more time. And I'm like, well, we all only have 168 hours in the week. We all have the same amount of time. But so I would say, but when you get intentional with that time, and you actually slow down and can make a better plan, I bet you'll create more time, right? You can create more time doing the things that you really want to do, like spending time, more time with your kids or, or reading that book or having that hobby. Because when you get reduce the overwhelm by being more intentional, you subsequently have more time because you're not then just running around like a chicken with your head cut off. You're actually being able to focus better. And so I, I started sharing that with some of the girls at work and uh, I'm like, huh, I bet you there's a lot of people that could probably use these tips about how to plan their week and be more intentional and taking that planner and planning in that meditation time so that they can get clear, right? That is sort of the start where you can, sit down, starting your one minute a day, building it up and then getting super intentional. Okay. I've done my meditation. Now I'm ready to be, now I'm ready to be intentional. I've got these three things that I need to get done today. And then I know that at the end of the day, I get to do what I love the most. And so that's sort of how it started. And I'm like, I think I really, I really want to share this with people because people like, People are living on autopilot. People aren't doing what they want to do. People aren't lighting their souls on fire. And at the end of their life, they're like, huh. You know, I see so many people in my career that are just waiting for retirement. And I'm like, why? Why are you waiting for retirement? Why aren't you doing those things now? Because when I first got hired, Kenneth, within the first couple of years, there was a lot of the guys that were retiring and unfortunately they were passing away within two to three years after retirement. And it's like, what are you waiting for? Why are you not living your life now? So. Oh, that <laughs> to me, I know that speaks so uh, like, Oh my gosh, that speaks to me because even in what I was um, doing as a career, um, in teaching where people would be like, I, I wanted to move to another province. And they're like, well, you, you can't, you can't like wait till you retire. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I have to wait 30 years to live in the mountains and the lakes and enjoy the things that I want to do. And that just sounded so bizarre to me. Like why, why would I wait my whole entire life? Um, who knows if A, I'm going to get there, B, what my situation will be if I'll be healthy enough to enjoy the things that I want to do. I want to enjoy the day to day, every single day, adding in the things that will spice up my life and add me joy and live, like you say, presently, like enjoy the time that you have now, because even so, like 
different people who I know who are waiting for retirement and then they get there and they don't know what to do because they haven't done any of these things that they love along the journey. So it's kind of like lost and, um, yeah, we need to live today, live now. Oh my gosh. I'm just gonna, it's funny because I was sitting, I got up early this morning and was reading and journaling and, um, both my boys got up and I literally was like watching them as they came out. And I'm like, how the hell did Alex, like his birthday was just before Christmas. How are you 12? And I'm like, then I started to realize that there was a lot of years there that I, like people say, oh, they grow so fast. No. Yeah, they do. But you also probably missed it. And I sat there and it was like, yeah, there's definitely years that just blew by because I was so busy worried about the stuff rather than to do the thing and to get that done rather than just being in the moment and enjoying where they were at whatever stage. And we built a rink in the backyard and um, they were out there skating yesterday and it was just joyful. It was, it was so joyful. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. like you said, sometimes we miss that if we are overwhelmed or unpresent, we can be there in the same room in the same space. So really being intentional because um, I think this is another maybe misconception that people have um, that has come up recently a few times. Your children don't need you 24 hours a day, 10 hours a day, whatever hours a day. If you can spend um, 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour, little pockets of time actually being present with them. Like that's enough. They don't want you for the whole time that they're home. Like they want to do their own things or other things. So it's like, but they really, really enjoy that you being present. So, you know, for the hockey rink, if you can like be around and be present in that moment or like sitting and having a conversation or your, your phone to the side, or actually watching a movie without your phone there and enjoying the experience. It's like, we don't have to give our time out, like, um, I don't even know what to call it, but you know, to everybody, it's like, if we can just be more present in the time that we have, it's so much more meaningful. Um, so much more meaningful. It really is. And I, I lie with my boys every night when they go to bed, when I'm home, right. If I'm not working and that is like, they both say like, this is the best part of the day because it's just one-on-one it's maybe only 10 to 15 minutes, but there's no distractions and you're just there, right? You're, you're totally present with them. And that's really, those are the memories that you need to take and that they'll take with them because they don't Yeah, you're right. They don't care about the other stuff. They don't need you around all the time. Um, they need to be able to learn to think and do things on their own, not, you know, and that's something I've definitely, one of the things from my career is that I've, you know, it, there's definitely issues that I think about from what I've seen that I want to protect my kids, maybe more than I think the average parent, maybe. Um, but I know that they just have to figure it out on their own. So, but being intentional during that time when we're together is more than more than what they need. Yes. And I think that just carrying that into, um, your relationships and life and, you yeah. know, the time for yourself, the time for others and your friendships, if you can really 
um, be there and be intentional, then it just is so much more fulfilling. And you know, you, people don't need you or you don't need to be there for everybody in all these ways. Right. Yeah. Fulfillment. That is, um, that was my word last year, fulfillment and, um, definitely have, you know, of course, with everything going on in the world, there's been days where you're like, Oh, it's a shit show. But the majority we've done, we did a lot of things last year, given the craziness that definitely, definitely filled me up. Okay. Do you have a word for this year yet? Well, it is. I do. It's actually intentional. Oh my gosh. I love that. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's my word. And, um, like that's just my thing. It's like being more intentional with every moment that, and it's, let's be honest. It's not 24 hours a day. You can't be on that every, but the majority of the time, like I'm very intentional when the boys are going to be home over the next week and a bit. And, um, being able, like you said, it doesn't have to be for hours on end. It can be intentional in that little pocket of time with them. Yeah. Yes. Yay. Oh my God. What's your word? Uh, mine is nourish. (gasps) So I know I just released the podcast just came out today with it. And it is for my mind, body, and soul. What things are going to nourish my mind, body, and soul and doing, doing that. Yes. Oh my God. I love that word. Oh, so just quick question. Do your kids have a meditation practice or have you introduced this to them yet? So my oldest, um, Alex has a hard time uh, shutting off his little brain. So we every night actually do uh, a visualization and a body scan in bed and that helps him sleep better. And um, so we've been doing that probably for a year and a half with him. And so that I'm training and teaching him how to do that on his own. Um, just the bedtime routine. And then my other little guy just turned eight on the 31st. Um, he's, he's a goer. He doesn't like to slow down, but he's just, he's just an eight year old. So we haven't got there yet, but he definitely is intrigued when he knows that I get, he knows what I do in here. And I try to teach him, you know, little nudges, but he isn't quite there yet. (laughs) Oh, I love that. How amazing too, that they get to a experience your energy from you showing up in that way and having that practice. And then, um, yeah, getting these little tidbits and practices as they grow to help them through. Yeah. Cause it really is. And I know that, um, Alex had a thing at school where it was really teaching him, um, some mental health stuff and meditation he said was brought up at school. So I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty good in grade seven that they're starting to get this stuff in there, but it's still a little bit slow, but that's why as parents, we, we have to implement that stuff, right? You can't rely on um, the school system or anybody else to do that. If that's what you want for your kids. Oh, I love that. Yes. And I feel like also a lot of times as, as um, parents, we take care of ourselves or like, um, get into these practices, but then forget to pass them along to our kids. Right. So I think that's, if that's something that you want or enjoy yourself, even if it looks different or maybe like, you know, just like little tidbits of like, you know, plant the seed and maybe it will sprout out and grow, or maybe it'll be not like that moment, but little snippets of it, um, over time can definitely help too. 
with that transformation, I think, or that practice or whatever it is that you want to instill. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I want to end off here. I just, I have one question and then I want to go into a round of, I have a list of words and then I want you to say one word or one thought that comes to mind when you get to the words. So, okay. Okay. So my first question is a lot of people might say, I don't have time to meditate. And I've heard the saying, if you don't have time to meditate for 10 minutes, meditate for an hour. Why do you think meditation is so important? And what are some of the benefits that you and your clients have experienced? Yeah, that is, that is, that quote is bang on. Right. And so that's why I said though, you need to start, you need to start small. And so it's so important because like I said before, our thoughts are just thoughts. And the biggest thing for my clients is that they say, I, I, not only do I not have time, but it's the, I can't get my, my brain to stop thinking, but that's not the point of meditation. The point of meditation is to allow the thoughts so that you recognize that they're just repetitive. As I said, we have 80 to 90,000 thoughts a day. And of those 80% of those are repetitive from the day before. So when you become aware that the thoughts are repetitive in nature, that's when you can learn to let them go. And so when it's important to, to learn and to become aware that they're just thoughts and then being able to acknowledge that you can let them go and that they're no longer serving you. And then that's where you come into this stop thinking sort of, I call it the blissful state where you're not thinking, but you're not asleep where you're just literally in a state of nothingness. And that's where your body heals. That's where you get the nudges from the universe. That's where you become more intentional. So like your word nourish to be able to give your body, mind, and soul, all of the nourishment it needs, you need to slow down. I love that. Oh, so good. Okay. So here are my list of words. So when I say the word, like one, um, like a word that comes up or a thought that comes up, anything that's like on your mind. So, okay. Okay. The first one, policing. Crazy. Joy. Love. Overwhelm. Stop it. Gratitude. Joyful. Intention. Life. Love. You. Present. Now. Life. That's all you have. Death. Ooh, that one got me. No fear. Meditation. Bliss. And words to live by. Be where your feet are. So good. Oh my gosh. Okay. Lastly, where can everybody find you and learn about your offerings? Okay. I am a little obsessed with Instagram. I am on Instagram all the time so they can catch my stories and, and all the things they can watch me clean out my storage room this, this month. That is my big intention. Um, so my handles uh, at Lyanne McGaughy. 
And um, I do have a Facebook community. So if you are a, you know, a mom or an ent female entrepreneur, we are starting the year off over in my Facebook group called the Intentionally Aligned Mom. Love it. Okay. So I will link all of that in the show notes. So um, all of you out there listening who lead a little bit more Lyanne in your life, I feel like <laughs> everybody could benefit once you like meet her and are surrounded by her. Um, you'll totally get it. Um, go and connect with her on Instagram or on her Facebook page. And uh, I would love for you to tag both of us what you walked away with uh, in this episode. Are you going to meditate for a minute? What comes up for you in your practice? And um, are you going to be where your feet are? Start the meditation practice and um, connect with Lyanne to get... Um, to join up with her and get the coaching that comes along with it too. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate all that you do. And I love just the energy that you give off. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of all things relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.